Today, we're talking to Adam Knorr. Adam is a freelance copywriter and ghostwriter specializing in finance, tech, and e-commerce. He's written for companies like Progressive Insurance and Merrill, and his copy has helped generate more than seven figures in sales. Before that, he had a successful finance career in Nashville, but was continuously drawn to writing. So he left it all, moved to Hawaii, and took a chance on copywriting as a career. We get into what it was like to leave corporate life, agency versus freelance work, daily rituals, what it's like being a digital nomad in Hawaii, and his unique methods for outreach. Be sure to follow Adam with the links provided in the show notes. Anyway, Reese, I'll let you, since you guys know each other, I'll let you. Yeah, we know we know each other super well, yeah. <laughs> as as all, all of the people I follow on Twitter, yeah. Um, well, that's a, yeah, that's the funny thing we were just saying um, before you were coming in, Lee, that I think it's been a year on Twitter that we've kind of known about each other and I've been kind of following the journey a little bit here and there. You're so much more um, disciplined with Twitter and definitely LinkedIn, um, which is awesome to see. So I, every time I come back on every few months because I'm shit, uh, it's great <laughs> to see. But it's been, yeah, it's been nice to see like how things have gone. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be amazing to hear, you know, I know that there's a, a big time in finance, um, five, six years, um, and now you are copywriting full-time freelance, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'd be good to it'd be good to hear. Like, yeah, ha, ha, how did you get into finance in the first place, as opposed to necessarily copywriting? That would be quite interesting to start off with. Yeah, so <clears throat> my background. So my my father was a freelance copywriter for 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 thirty years. I genuinely the first job I knew you could have before I knew you could be a baseball player was a freelance copywriter. It was the first thing I ever saw. It's the first thing I ever knew. So, you know, he, he worked from home my entire life and it's all I ever saw. And I always had inklings that I might want to follow in his footsteps. So I studied journalism in college. I graduated and we all know that journalism uh, doesn't exactly pay the bills in a way that you might want it to. So my older brother worked in finance at the time and he just said, look, man, if you want as a plan B, I can probably get you your foot in the door for a job interview at this financial firm. And I said, yeah, I might as well check it out. So interviewed with him, did the whole pros and cons list and decided finance is something that I should probably learn at some point in my life. So I might as well do it when I'm young. So I went the finance route right out of school. Pretty much from day one, I knew it wasn't my full-time career long-term you know, I, I was good at it and I tried hard and I worked my way up the ladder, but I always, you guys know how it is, had this pull to write, right? I, I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing. It's what I always wanted to do. And it things kind of came to a head in the spring, summer of last year. I was interviewing for a pretty major promotion. And it was one of these things where if I got this promotion, the, the money would have been so good that I never would have had a chance to leave. And it really made me evaluate this and basically say, if I don't quit now, I'm not going to be able to quit in a year. So decided it wasn't for me, put in my two weeks notice. And the next day I said, I'm a copywriter now. And, and that's the short story of it. It's epic. That's such a good, such a good pivotal moment to have because so many people make the decision to go the other way to be like, yes, security, money, I'm set for the rest of my life, do all these things. But you're like, nah, fuck that. Going to do what you always dreamt of. That's amazing. Really amazing. I'm picking up a bit of an accent. So if you don't mind me asking, where are you originally from? That's so funny. Yeah, I'm from Michigan. So sometimes people will say it's Canadian. Yeah. Well, guess where I'm sitting right now? 
I'm in uh I'm in a basement in Detroit. So are you having Grand yeah. Rapids yeah. right now? Oh, are you kidding me? Oh no, man, no. I was uh no shit. Yeah. So yeah. get the hell out of here, man. Oh, that's funny, man. <laughs> I was just I was just in Jackson over the weekend, and I went to Ann Arbor. My mom, uh, I'm probably saying too much to put this out to the world, but who cares? My mom's address is no. My mom lives in Grand Haven, and uh, and I was I was born in the UP, and then I moved to Northern Minnesota. Same shit, and I grew up there. So anyway, I, I thought I was picking up on that, but but we um yeah I could have we could have we could have met in person and uh, at some rest stop McDonald's and uh, done this live I guess next time. But I uh, um I had the same trajectory i'm 43 now so i had like a really good job in florida and i was like making a lot of money but i was working a lot and like i just knew it wasn't for me and i'm like oh shit you know like if if i if i rot away down here i'm never gonna you know get to do what i need to do so i i kind of when i left i i got rid of everything i i was a private investigator so i even got rid of my licensing so i couldn't go back as like a, a parachute type thing or like a, a safety net i guess is what i'm trying to say and it was super scary man i didn't have a client for like nine months. So when you, when you left that job and like decided that this is what you're going to do, like what's your timeline look like from just picking up and brushing up on things? Obviously you probably learned a lot from your father, but like, how long did it take you? Do you think from when you're like, okay, this is actually working where you weren't like, oh shit, was this the right choice or not? It's a great question. And I think to your point, you know, a lot of people tell you when you're getting into this, you know, build this up as a side hustle and then quit your W-2 when you have proof of concept. And I was the same way as you were, Lee. I said, you know what, if I burn the boats, then I don't have a chance at turning around, right? My financial securities licenses have lapsed and I've got to put food on the table. So I'm going to make this work. So it's my situation is is so strange. It's not really repeatable and probably not applicable to a lot of other people's scenarios. When I quit my job, I moved from I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. I moved to Hawaii. Uh, I found a program. It was it's a work stay program. So I worked and lived on a coffee farm in exchange for twenty eight hours of work a week, like you know seven hour days, four days a week. They pay for your housing and they pay for your food. And I was just a tour guide on a coffee farm. So that gave me an extra 30 hours a week to basically get this business off the ground in a situation where I had zero expenses, right? Wasn't paying for food, wasn't paying for housing. So it was an awesome time to, to start your own business and, and not have those pressures of, of needing to make an income. So that was about a three to four month period. My first client was actually a guy that I was renting a car from in Hawaii. He was trying to get his his uh, rental car business off the ground and I rented the Dodge Challenger from him. And I said, hey, Vaughn, just so you know, I just started my own business. I looked at your website. I can probably help you out. Did a $500 deal and wrote his website. So that was like the only client I would say I landed in those first three months. But again, part of it was I didn't really care that much because I was in Hawaii and, and doing the sabbatical thing. So really, when I look at the last year and a half, September of 2022 is when I really started focusing on this. Um, you know, I, I got a little bit lucky with some cold emails, ended up signing a, a pretty big client. I was doing a lot of work for a large marketing agency, and they gave me a good flow of work and testimonials and, and referrals and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, from, from the time I started to the time I said, this is really a full-time income, it was only a few months, but I will acknowledge, I think I sent the right email at the right time, basically. Now, I have to ask too, with, uh, um, and again, this is like a, I think it's probably like more of an American thing, but going from like your corporate job, 
uh, back to like working on the coffee farm. Like, did you have any, how did that feel? Because I know that a lot of us are like, once you reach a certain level or status or whatever you want to call it, it, it's, it feels like a step back kind of, because I've even considered like, look, even if I have to bartend for a while and I should not be anywhere near a bar, but you know, if I have to do that for a while, like whatever. So how did that feel? Was that like a, was it like freeing because you were outside doing things or was it kind of like, oh, am I taking a step back? Like, how did that feel? Yeah, totally. Both. I mean, so, so it was a, the, the house I lived in was a communal living house. So it was, I was living in a high rise apartment in Nashville, right? Wearing my suit and tie, financed the whole nine yards. And then I moved to this basically shack on a coffee farm. And the nature of this program, of course, is that it attracts mostly what you would expect college age kids doing a gap year, right? So I was 28 years old. My roommates were like six 19 year old girls and one 22 year old guy. So I was the old man on campus, you know, 10, 10 years older than anybody else in the house. So definitely there were you know, moments where I'd stand there in the coffee farm and just look around and be like, what the hell am I doing here? Right? Like, this is so bizarre. There's no way it was the right move. And it was hard a lot of the time to disassociate and to enjoy being there, right? Because, you know, it's all well and good to pursue your passions. But at the end of the day, pursuing your passion doesn't pay the bills, right? So it was constant, this back and forth between take a breather, take a sabbatical, enjoy your time here versus, well, you don't really have the luxury of doing that because you're not 19 years old anymore. So both, I, I felt it both all the time and uh, it, it was a great time to do it, but I wouldn't say I was down there kicking my feet up. More often than not, I was I was going pretty hard at it. Did you, what, when you were down there and you were feeling those things, did at any point you think, oh, I need to go back to the job or something similar? And like, if you did, like, what was the mental process of like, returning to what you were coming to? Not really. I, I've never really seriously entertained going back to the job. I actually had a, a former coworker who recently switched firms and offered me a position at his new firm. And it was a great moment of validation for me because it was, again, an attractive compensation package and an easy job to walk into. And it made me seriously evaluate, like, I can go back right now, right? Do I still want to be doing this and still want to be grinding? And I ended up turning him down. And I thought that that was a valuable thought exercise to prove to myself that I still want to do this, right? So you guys know how it is. It's, you know, you work more than you did at your corporate job and you make less, but you do it because you see the path, right? And, and you know that the potential is there. So, you know, Reese, my, my, my ego is too big, I think, to be totally honest with you, to, to turn back <laughs> and go back to the corporate job. I don't know. It'd, it'd have to be pretty dire for me to do that. Fucking A, burn the boats. I love right. it. No, I, uh, um, I, my trajectory is similar to yours. I agree too, because I've been doing this for, uh, November 2nd will be 24 months. Uh, and I feel like I've been doing it for an eternity and it, look, I'm not a hustle culture guy, but I know that being new to a job, even at 41 or whatever I was, because a lot of people say, man, you work too much. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm new at this fucking job. Like, you know, when you start anything new, you have to work hard. And I've been working nights and weekends for a while, but I've, I think, I feel like I've, I'm doing okay. Like I'm where I want to be. And I've noticed recently, um, I don't want to get into it too deep, but I've noticed recently uh, being part of a hiring panel uh, that I see a lot of writers that have been doing this for five to 10 years that, um, in my opinion, they they seem stuck. They may not view themselves as stuck, but they, they're still not, I, I hate to say it like this, but I've far surpassed them or where I thought, whatever. And I know you've had a very fast trajectory too. Like, what do you attribute 
kind of like that quick or that faster success? Do you think it's just longer hours or mindset? Like, what do you think it got you a little bit further uh, along as well? Yeah, I'll be honest. I I am kind of a hustle culture guy, right? I do think there's value in in taking time for yourself and enjoying your life and that sort of stuff. But I, again, I, maybe it's just ego or whatever it is. But my work ethic is is pretty strong, and I'm I'm just not gonna let this beat me, right? That my whole mentality all the time is there are other people people that are doing this successfully, and there is just no way that they are that much better at this than I am, right? And that and that keeps me going. So yeah, I attribute it to you know, freelance copywriting isn't sipping my ties on the beach and working 20 hours a week and billing hundred K a year. Like everybody wants you to believe you guys know that better than anybody. Right. I'm working, you know, I get up at five. I usually work until about five, go do some stuff for myself, come back, log another hour or two before bed. And I do that Monday through Sunday. Right. And I work on labor day and Memorial day. And again, to your point, Lee, a lot of this is because it's been about 12 months of doing this seriously. The longer you stay in the game, you know, the more reliable business you get, the less that happens. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's longer hours. It's just, it's just hard work. That's literally all it is. What is the, that mentality, that drive for you? What is it all for? Is it for what it is? Or is it like, if, are you like, have, do you have this vision of the future? That's what it's working for. Or you just fucking love doing it day to day. No, that's a great question too. So yeah, it's, when I quit my job in finance, right? I was 28 years old. I'm single. It's just myself. I do have designs of having a family, wife, kids, that whole sort of thing someday. So my mentality was, look, if you are going to quit this job and this comfortability and this reliable income, there are other people in the future that will be affected by this decision. It's not just you. You don't know them yet, but they are going to rely on you. And I think, you know, as a man, I, I believe it's your role to be a provider and a protector and those sorts of things. So again, pursuing your passions is all whimsical and it's all well and good. But I basically told myself, if you make the selfish decision to go right, other people in the future that rely on you shouldn't have to pay for your decision. So that's my driving motivator is I've got to make the income to make this move worthwhile. And if I didn't, then I failed other people. And that's basically what pushes me. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I'm i a huge fan of like, I don't see enough of this is like, like planning out the third, fourth, fifth order effects from something. Now, people don't do enough of that these days. You know, they want the instant whatever. And we all know about attention spans. But uh, what you said a minute ago about um, just getting to a certain job and like, like that person's making money. I, they can't be, you know, they may be a little bit better than me right now, but they can't be a genius. I've noticed that in every career that I've had, I've had a few now is like I, from the outside, I'm like, Oh my God, these guys are so good. Like they're all great. And then I, then I get on the inside. I'm like, this place is full of idiots, you know, it's with, and I'm being sarcastic, but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's that mental barrier we have, like, Oh, I can't break into this or break into that. And then when you get on the inside, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like nobody else here is, is any better than I am. Or, you know, again, I'm, bragging a little bit, but I, I, the trajectories that we've all had has been pretty far or been pretty quick. And I, I attribute some of that to uh, communication. Uh, I find that I haven't been like the best writer. I know copywriters that are much better than me. You know, Reese and I have worked on a couple of things where he's come up with some ideas. I'm like, man, this is brilliant. I never could have done this on my own. But I think that some of the what kind of guided my last 18 months of, of building up clients and getting hired with an agency was just being able to communicate with people and be an adult, you know, show up to meetings and, you know, not have like a stupid shirt on or something like that. So how, how have you, do you think that that has kind of shaped your trajectory as well and kind of helped you excel? 
Totally. And to your point, I vividly remember the first day I realized this. I was 22 years old, working my first finance job, and I had a, a good performance review, basically. And I looked around and I realized if you show up when you are supposed to show up, you do the work while you're there and you leave a few minutes after most people do, you are going to be better than 90% of your competitors, right? That's pretty much all. And that was an eye-opening realization. And I think that, to your point, Lee, is true in freelance copywriting too, right? A lot of especially newer copywriters getting into it want to tell clients that you know they're the, the next Gary Halbert or, or whatever famous copywriter you want to talk about. And they like to say these things like, you know, my words convert like crazy and I'll have your clients reaching for their wallets. And we all know that agencies and business owners, they, they see right through that, right? They, that's an extremely difficult thing to be able to deliver on to be a real high level conversion copywriter. What I attribute pretty much all of my success to is exactly what you just said, Lee. Do the work right, do the work on time, and be the best possible communicator you can. That's going to get you way further ahead than any hacks or power words or whatever you want to say. You mentioned you're single, there's no family yet. Um, you have mentioned your father being a freelance copywriter his whole life. Is he a mentor? If, if not, do you have a mentor? Is there someone that's kind of on the journey with you? providing a little bit of guidance. Yeah, it's so funny. You know, it, it was always knocking around in the back of my mind that I might want to pursue his career. And then I literally chose to do it about six months after he retired for the first time. Well, when, when he retired at all. So which was just insane, right? If I was going to do this, I should have just been his succession plan and taken all of his clients and, and done the warm handoff. So if I would have thought about this a year ago, none of this would have been a problem. And I'm sure I would have had, you know, 10 clients gifted to me right off the bat. So he's been obviously helpful, right? Yes, he is my mentor in the copywriting space. He's made some introductions for me. But more importantly, he's helped me with editing and with the copy and with idea generation. And nowadays, it's pretty darn rare that I'll reach out to him for, for editing or copywriting advice um, because it would be a lot that I would be asking for. But early on, I mean, you know how, how nerve-wracking that is when you send your first piece of copy to a client and you've been yep. doing it for a month and you have absolutely no way of knowing if it's any good because it's all so subjective, right? So having him there early on to sit there and say, yes, this is good. I would change this X, Y, and Z. I can't pretend like that didn't help me a tremendous amount. I mean, he's been crucial, crucial, crucial for me, especially in those early days. That's awesome. Is there, is there an element of competition there or... No, that's a good that's a good question. No, you know, not not really, not really. There is an it's just it's fun to be able to talk about that sort of thing, right? You guys talk about yeah. meeting in a cohort. I don't have a lot of my friends that I can talk to, you know, the, the finer points about the Oxford comma or freelance copywriting with. So it's nice to have somebody that gets it to bounce stuff off of because I think especially as a a person working for yourself it can be a little bit maddening if nobody understands. So that's been nice for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And and you don't have to have any awkward conversations about the fact that you're going freelance after leaving a job either. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's, you know, um, pe people ask that all the time too, right? Is it, are you happy you did it? Or do you wish you had the agency job, the W-2? And I think, you know, the freelancing thing is so interesting because it was so attractive for a long time because you got to set your own hours and work from wherever you want and those sorts of things. But now, with remote and hybrid work, a lot of those things just kind of exist from a W-2 perspective. So I go back and forth a lot, to be honest with you, Lee, you talk about working for an agency, like, does it make more sense for me just to be a remote W-2 writer? And 
get the benefits and get the consistent paycheck and those sorts of things. So I'd be curious what, what you guys think on that. Cause I, I wrestle with that all the time, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I have the same thing. I've always been kind of a, like a team kind of guy. Like I, I left Minnesota at 18. I went in the Marines for a while and I've always, I, I think I thrive better in a team environment. So even at 40, uh, I, I think I would be a little more confident jumping into this freelance thing. And it was fucking terrifying to be honest with you. And I think I do operate with a little bit more structure. At least I'm better at it. I, I have this problem now where I take on, I'm getting better, but I'm taking on every client and especially now not to bring up the, uh, the AI thing, but you know, like there are certain, I've noticed some people in our circles that have lost some work. So whenever something comes along, I try to grab too much. So to your point about agency work and having some structure, I really think that that that's been helpful for me. But when, so when I'm, when I'm working, doing agency stuff, I miss my freelance days. Like I'm just going to go to the gym. If I want to work from 9 PM to whatever I can, you know, uh, that's up to me. And then when I'm freelancing, I'm like, oh man, it'd be nice to just have that paycheck hitting my account in you know, every couple of weeks. So I honestly don't think there's a good answer to this other than I know, like, I know myself well enough now that whatever I'm doing, I'm going to want to do the other thing. So I just try to keep that, that balanced in my head. So I don't, you know, blow everything up but it reminded me of like a not to get back to to submitting client work uh but when you were talking about that first submission you know when you first send that first deliverable and there's nothing worse in the world than when you're sitting in a google doc and you see like the the anonymous walrus come in you know and you're like oh fuck like you know what's gonna happen like yeah the suggestions and everything what when do you think like you said your first client was the uh the, the web design for the the rental car um, how did it pick up after that? Have you been kind of like a generalist? Like, how would you kind of define the copy? Because Reese and I are, are honest, quite honestly, we're kind of generalists. I'll take anything that comes my way. But have you found something you enjoyed more than the other? Yeah. So one thing I'll say real quickly is if I could go back to the very beginning and do anything over again, I would have started posting on LinkedIn from day one. I, the, the amount of business that I'm generating nowadays just on pure inbound leads from LinkedIn is more significant than any outbound outreach I've ever done. And we all know how awesome inbound leads are. So if you're considering doing this, start posting on LinkedIn. I don't care if you have nothing to say, just do it. It'll work itself out. Um, but no, yeah, I did the same thing, right? I think everybody tells you to niche down because of the riches are in niches idea. But early on, if you're niching down, all you're doing is disqualifying yourself for potential work, right? And Another aspect of that is I worked in finance, right? So my background's in finance. So in my mind, I was going to be a copywriter in the finance niche. Of course, that's what I'm going to do. And I ended up doing a lot of work with an agency in the tech space and in, and in SaaS. And I found out I had a pretty good knack for that. So what I did at that point was rebranded myself as a tech copywriter because that's where most of my experience was. And then I would reach out to other agencies or firms in those spaces and style myself as a specialist in this space because I have testimonials here and because I have examples here. So you never really know what you're going to get into until you do it. And then as you do more things in more spaces, you have more options to niche down, right? If I write three pieces of copy in real estate, you better believe I'm going to start telling real estate clients that I specialize in real estate copy because I have the testimonial and I have the samples, right? So I think early on, get as much work as you possibly can, figure out what you like, and then give yourself more chances to broaden your horizons. I think that's absolutely the way to do it. Couldn't agree more. 
Absolutely. And and like we've we follow this path too, where I'll like especially in the beginning, not so much anymore. I'll take anything. If somebody was even outside of copywriting, or somebody's like, uh, hey, can you help me with uh, building my landing page? And I'm like, sure. Then I'll get off the call and I'm like, oh shit, now I'm on YouTube. How do, how do I build a landing page? But I think that's that's a very important point is like you have to try things that may seem a little scary to you because then at least you learn what you don't like to do because, you know, like there are things now that I know that I will never take on. And I think that's important to do. Plus, I think it makes you a more, um, more effective copywriter. It's challenging. You, you're having to write about copy one day and you're having to write about something super technical the other day. Like that's only going to be a good uh, thing for your ability. Um, you've been through that. So you're kind of like a year in, Based on that, like you've experimented in different niches, different styles of writing. Do you have somewhere you want to take the freelance business in the future? It's a really well-timed question. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm in the midst of of probably a full-scale pivot right now. I see a lot of value in the ghostwriting space, specifically, uh, especially on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, those sorts of things. I think that you know it's something that I've started to have some success with and the success has led to enough traction to where I say, okay, this is viable and I'm getting a lot of inbound leads on it. So clearly it tells me that the interest is there, the demand is there. And if you have the results, you are going to outpace what current supply there is in the market. I think a lot of people want to do it, but a lot of people don't necessarily have the results to do it. So that's something that I've noticed enough traction in recently and had enough success with where it's now it's going to make sense for me to start niching down, right? So as I look forward, as I model this out for the next couple of years, that's where I see myself hitching my wagon to. But, you know, I thought I was going to be a, a finance copywriter a year ago and look how that turned out. So I think it's important to have direction, but always be willing to change as, as new factors come in. Yeah, for sure. And with your ghostwriting too, like just real quick, like how how long are we talking here? Are we talking? Are we you know are we doing social media posts? Have you gotten into any like long form books or anything like that? Like what does that process look like? So right now, my paid work, the work that I market to my ideal clients, is strictly LinkedIn writing. Um, again, I, I I know LinkedIn pretty darn well. I understand the algorithm, how to optimize a page, all those sorts of esoteric things that are outside of 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 the actual writing itself that are kind of hard for people to pick up on the fly. So. I do like being able to specialize in LinkedIn. Now, look, the long-term plan, Lee, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Joshua Lysek. He's probably the most successful novel ghostwriter or book ghostwriter uh, in the world. He claims that he makes a million bucks a year ghostwriting, and I don't doubt him. I would love, love, love to ghostwrite books in the future for, for founders, CEOs, those sorts of things. Like 10, 15 years, that's where I want to be, and I think this is a good path to get there. Yeah, that's good money. And I, I think, you know, aside from the obviously, and it sounds like you've got like the discipline to guide yourself, because obviously, if somebody comes to me, or comes to you and says, Hey, I need a, a 50,000 word book. Um, the good thing is, you don't have to deal with them for a while, like you'll have some touch points. But uh, the bad thing is, you kind of have to stay on track. But it sounds like you've got your day regimented. Yeah, it, look, it, it's, it's, I get by by a healthy dose of neuroticism, right? I'm always if I'm not working, I'm always, man, I got I got to be working. And that's not a healthy way to be to your point. But I don't set an alarm. I'm up at 445, 5 o'clock every day, make a cup of coffee and sit down at my computer and, and get three hours of work done before the sun comes up. So it's not not forever, but I don't know. You kind of enjoy it. Awesome. What, one thing we'd love to dive into. Um, one, this has been amazing so far. Um, so thank you. To take it to a, on a different note, like how what is Hawaii like? Because when, when I first saw, like I think it was a picture, and I was like, 
and like I'm like going around Europe, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but like out here in Hawaii. So come on, give us the lowdown. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's awesome. Uh, but I will say, just like anywhere else, right? Visiting Hawaii and living in Hawaii are are two very different things. And that's going to be the case with anywhere you go in the world. Everywhere has pros and cons. So, is it this blissful paradise? In some ways, yes, but in a lot of ways, no, right? Like everything is is going to be expensive. You know, six bucks for a gallon of milk, gas is super expensive. Logistics are kind of tough, all that sort of stuff. But that would be focusing on the negatives. I mean, Hawaii is also Hawaii. It is between 72 and 85 degrees every single solitary day. You get a little bit of rain. You see the sun. You see the ocean. You know, I would get up probably three, four days a week go surf before I would go to my quote unquote job at a coffee farm. You know, I, I literally drove a Dodge Challenger around with a surfboard sticking out the back of it. I mean, it was every bit of that, you know, Jimmy Buffett-esque lifestyle that you would want it to be. Um, the people are wonderful. You know, it, it, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Hawaii itself, but it, I think it's important with all that sort of stuff to, to, to caveat and to understand that, eh, look, no matter where you go, there, there are going to be things you don't love, but yeah, it's pretty great. No, I like that perspective. I uh, I lived in Key West for a couple of years and everybody was like, oh, it must be awesome. And I had the same exact rap that you just had. I'm like, look, man, there's a difference between coming down here with extra money that you know you're going to spend. You could be drunk every day if you want to. You're staying at a hotel. There's a difference between that. And now I'm sitting in traffic with all these stupid tourists and like standing in line at the grocery stores and spending a lot of money. So you know, again, like I think people don't put that in perspective. So when they ask me, I'm like, well, do you, do you want to live in Vegas? They're like, well, hell no. I'm like, exactly. So, but that's Hawaii is definitely one place. That's the only place in the States I haven't been to. Um, and when you like, when's the last time you were there? And, and I, I have to bring it up because we're recording this in September of 2023, but it was uh, like the wildfire situation. Do you know anybody that was affected by that out there? Yeah, so the last time I was there was it would have been March or April of this year. And I have some, I actually have some existing work down there and some lifelong friends. So I will be going back and forth, presumably for, for, for years and years and years, which is fantastic. Um, so that fire, I was on the big island. So the actual island of Hawaii, I was in Kona on the west side of the island. Those fires were in Lahaina and Maui, which is the next island over. So I could see Maui on clear days from where I was. I don't personally know anybody that was affected by it. I do know the coffee farm that I worked for basically led uh, an initiative for Kona Coffee Farms and sent over hundreds of pounds of coffee to you know responders and, and people affected by the fire. And obviously that doesn't even begin to to put a bandaid on any of the things that happened over there. But yeah, I, I don't know. What can you say about it? Right. Just just incredibly tragic and um, you know, best best yeah, do do what you can, support if you can, that sort of thing. So I'm happy that. The people that I know and the place that I was connected to did what they could to help out. I'm, I'm grateful for that, at least. Everything I've seen about Hawaii has struck me as um, incredibly tight communities. Um, I don't know. Yeah, if, if, if that was something you experienced. Yeah, de- de- definitely. But, you know, again, there are these, these things that you don't necessarily see unless you're there. There are there, There's animosity between just like there would be, you know, elsewhere with, with Lee, you mentioned tourism, right? And that's especially a problem in Hawaii where you get people from the mainland who come down and buy second or third homes. And then all of a sudden, Native Hawaiians are priced out of their homes. And that's a real, real serious problem. So, the community among Native Hawaiians is extremely tight knit because they do deal with a lot of these issues economically, politically, socially, those sorts of things. Um, 
and you feel that sometimes and it, and it's hard for me to blame people for, for that sort of thing. So yeah, community is massive. Um, and you want to be as respectful as possible when you're down there. Yeah. It's, 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 it's good to hear that. And I think it's good. Thank you for sharing on this podcast as well, because I think a lot of people that see any kind of freelance digital nomad remote lifestyle, um, especially if you're not just working for a company, um, and you're, you're kind of hopping around like, yes, the beautiful beaches and scenery is amazing, but they are real places with real people with real challenges. And I think a lot of people may like, you know, jump on a plane somewhere to go live there for six months and not obviously they wouldn't know. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a good reminder that, um, you know, it's also not the best thing to just traits around the world and, and ignore that there's some real life challenges in some of these places as well. Yeah, I had uh, was, I'm going back to Playa del Carmen for the winter, and um, and I like don't get me wrong, I stay in the nicer areas because I can afford it now and everything else. But there's a big difference between going as a tourist anywhere, getting off the plane, getting into a whatever, and going to your resort uh, as opposed to like actually getting to know the locals and spending some time and being a little bit more integrated in the community. And I think to Reese's point, I think that's, that's super important because like most people and, and Americans are super guilty of this. Uh, we'll just go somewhere like, Oh, it was the greatest thing in the world. Like, well, you, you flew into Cancun and got taken to an all inclusive resort that you got in, back in your taxi and you flew out again. And you really didn't, you really didn't see the rest of the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Look, I think it Reese, you made a good point about tying it back to the digital nomad lifestyle, right? And it, this is not nothing groundbreaking. Just be respectful. Keep in mind who you're around. You know, a lot of these places do rely on tourism dollars. Uh, so it's important that you do go and support the local economy. But when you're there, try to do that sort of thing, right? Try not to shop at the Costco's and the Walmarts. And this is getting us a little bit off track, but just be appreciative of the people, be appreciative of where you are, do what you can to support the local economy is what I would say. Coming uh, back on track, um, definitely getting the um, vibe that it's been like a gung-ho year for you, um, which is awesome and the drive's there. Have you hit any big struggles in the past year and how? what, what was it like? How did you get through them? Totally. The, the biggest struggle I hit, so I had, again, this client that I landed er real early on was was an agency. And if anybody's listening, you're not familiar, right? You can freelance for agencies. And if they don't have enough copywriters, they have, you know, copywriters are too busy, they'll farm that work out. And the nice thing about working with an agency is that they provide you the clients, right? You don't have to go out and find the end client. So I was fortunate to, to get work with a wonderful agency. I love them to death. They're all great people. Um, and it happened for me really early on. So for a good stretch of about six, seven months, I was making about 40 to 50% of my income from one marketing agency. Now, one of the drawbacks is if that agency's clients, you know, if their engagement wraps up with that agency um, and they don't have other clients, then you lose that client, that end client to no fault of your own. And it just so happened that this agency I was working with wrapped up its engagements with a couple of big clients that I was writing for. And just like that, basically 50% of my income was gone, right? And everybody tells you to never stop doing client outreach, no matter how good things are. But we know that's easier said than done. And when things are good, you're convinced it'll be that way forever, right? Yeah, Reese, you, you don't, you're like, you, you, you exactly know. Um, so what that ended up being, to be honest with you, was a blessing in disguise, right? It forced me to go out and be more creative and find more clients and think about more things. And that's how I 
stumbled across the LinkedIn ghostwriting. And since that happened, you know, probably three, four months ago, I've picked up a dozen new clients and now I'm significantly better insulated against any downturns in the future because I had to go out and find new clients. So that was the biggest struggle. But again, everybody says this and it's a cliche. A lot of the time you look back on those bad things that happened to you and say, oh, that was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me. I think that was true in this instance. Yeah, it, it feels like insurmountable at the time and it feels like it's never going to end and like, oh my God, what am I doing? And then like now if you look back a couple of months, I'm like, that's that was so stupid and silly. And honestly, like the failures, uh, and I've had quite a few, like even with my outreach, let's say I reach out to 10 people and apply for a job and I get back nine of them. We're not moving forward with whatever that I reached out to them for. In the beginning, it was like crushing. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And now I'm like, I get an email from somebody saying, we're not, we're not moving forward to your interview. I'm like, I don't even remember who you are, you know, but it's just, it, it's kind of, it kind of goes back to like how you got started. Just, you know, giving up everything, giving up your licensing and going, it's the same thing. You know, if the agencies, if the agency work or whatever dies off then you're like, all right, I have to reset. Now I'm forced to go back out and we're all terrible with keeping up with outreach. Uh, like I'm not doing any right now because like, oh, I'm comfortable. So like it's, it's, it's super easier said than done, but yeah, a hundred percent identify with it. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing again, I, I would suggest it. My outreach is all manual, right? I don't, you, a lot of people use systems and softwares like Apollo's AP or whatever it is. I haven't spent the time to learn those and I should have. So that would be do as I say, not as I do kind of thing automate your outreach. That way you don't have to worry about doing it yourself. Yeah. I actually uh, heard a rumor that you uh, may have mailed out some uh, stuff <laughs> at one point. Uh, I, Reese was saying something about that. I'm like, that, no, there's no way. Like he's actually yeah. sending, sending letters out. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, honestly, that is the least scalable practice in the world, but it has the highest hit rate of anything I've done. I've probably sent out 25 handwritten letters or dropped them off in person and gotten four pieces of business out of it. If you're getting, what is that, almost a 20% hit rate on your cold outreach, that's pretty darn good. So yeah, look, it, it, what I do, um, it's I figure the easiest way to, to get 100% open rate is to send somebody a handwritten letter, right? Everybody's going to open a letter that goes to them. So here in Michigan, I find people that I want to work for or marketing agencies, and I spend time figuring out who the best point of contact is, what to learn about them, right? I personalize a handwritten note. I attach it to a little flyer that I have made for my business and I either drop it off in person or I mail it to them. And those people, they get back to you. I mean, you, you hear back from darn near everybody. It sucks. It takes a long time, but the hit rate is pretty remarkable. So I, I recommend that to anybody, honestly, just zig when others zag. That was the best thing I saw. I was like, <laughs> yes, hundred percent. Who's going to get that letter and be like, yeah, I'm going to throw that away? Like, obviously not. It's amazing. So good. Love it. Yeah, you hear back from almost anybody. You don't get business from everybody, but almost everybody says, hey, got your outreach. Appreciate it. We'll keep you in mind. Now, we know what that actually means, but at least they got back to me. Uh, to, to be honest, I think it's also an extremely good strategy for, like, like, you, say, like you said earlier, like, we're, we're experimenting in lots of different niches, but we all have clients that, or brands and we think, yeah, I'd love to fucking work with them. Those are the best ones to probably do it for because you can actually pour all your passion into the fact that either you're a customer already or you, you, you just like their brand. Like taking that approach then, they're going to marry the fact that you're passionate about the brand already plus you took the time to do this approach um, that no one else does. So it could work really well like that. 
a hundred percent. And look, it's one of those things that we we all know you can give away ninety nine. You can give away a hundred percent of your business because ninety nine point nine percent of the people are never going to do anything with what you tell them to do. It's the same thing with handwritten letters. Like people will listen to this and say, "Oh man, that's a great idea," and ninety nine percent of people will never do that because it's kind of a pain to do. Which is all the more reason that you should do it because it will work. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even know where to get stamps these days. I haven't bought a stamp <laughs> in like twenty five years. Yeah, dude, they're, I bought a roll. I brought a whole roll of stamps. It's like sixty bucks. I was I was floored. It was ridiculous. That's, that's but one time purchase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's it's so saturated now. Like I think after COVID, you know, like the whole like we were talking about the platforms with the Hunter IO and all the other little tools that people use for outreach. I really do think that. Uh, I mean, I always found it to be like, ugh, like if it's something I have to do, I'm going to do it begrudgingly. It just doesn't feel right. But I understand it's a numbers game. But I think like, you know, the personalization is really, really coming back around. And Reese was even talking before about, you know, just, you know, email and follow up with a phone call, you know, like these extra steps aren't that much work. And to your point about um, just getting the quality out of it, I would rather reach out to five people and hear back from one than reach out to 500 and not hear back from any. So I, I think that it's, it's just a laziness thing. You know, I, people are like, I don't feel like taking the time to do this. But man, all you need, if you get one good client, you could make $10,000 a month off of one good client, you know, just take it a couple of extra steps. Be, you mentioned the phone call. I be as old school as possible. Again, I don't mail all these letters out. If these people are in my backyard, I'll drive to their office. I'll walk in unannounced. I'll ask to meet with the person. Usually I'll, they'll say no, but I'll get to shake a hand or I'll get to talk to a secretary and show my, I mean, that takes me one day. I stop by 10 offices. I drop off the hand. Just just do stuff that other people aren't doing, right? That, that That's the best advice I can give. Be old school. It works. Yeah. They're going to think you're a process server showing up like, <laughs> hey, you're, you're being sued. Yeah, yeah That's right. awesome, though. I love it. It would be good to, one for the copywriters that are watching, um, do you have any rituals you do on a daily, whatever cadence, to be honest, to hone your copywriting over time? I always, not specifically with copywriting, I read. Every morning, I try to read a little bit before I write to get my brain in that mindset. Three pages, five pages, 10 pages, just a few minutes I like to read to get my brain working. Sometimes I'll do a crossword, right? Just to sort of, to get my brain in the in the word mindset. And then I kind of dive in. You know, I don't have, I have structures that I use for research and for client interviews and all these sorts of things, templates that I use. But when I write, I pretty much sit down and I start, banging stuff out, right? Again, you guys know how beneficial it is to step away from the computer, to take walks, to think about things in your free time. And I think all that is important. But the only ritual I would say I have is to get my brain around words before I start writing. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Um, I should start doing that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. When did, when did you feel, I guess, so I'm thinking back of my own experience, leaving a, a pretty good job that I had no business leaving. I just did it because I, it didn't feel right. Uh, for me, I think when I hit the same amount of income that I was making with that job and, and again, not to get too personal with finances, but like, what was your ultimate validation? Cause we, you know, when we get that first client, we kind of, it proves the model, right? Like, okay, I can actually make money doing this, but did you reach a certain point where you're like, this was, this is, this is it. You know what I mean? I mean, I no, I'm still not there to be honest with you. I'm still not where I want to be. Right. Again, part of that is because I was in a pretty darn good paying job and replicating that specific W2 income is going to be difficult because it was, it was a pretty darn good watermark. So I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting better at 
enjoying the journey and appreciating the ride and not simply tying your value to the monthly income, which is really hard to do because that's kind of what we're all trained to do and how we evaluate ourselves from a, from a professional values perspective. You know, I, I real early on, like I hit a 10K month and I thought, okay, 10K a month, like, boom, that's it. I'm good. That's all I ever need. And then two months later, I had like a 4K month, right? So for me, it's been a roller coaster. I, I think more of it, what I'm trying to do is again, appreciate the ride, appreciate the journey, let the results come. I don't know. I could be making 500 grand a year doing this. And I'm not sure I would ever say, oh boy, okay, time to stop, time to slow. Like that, that, that's it, right? I don't know if there's a number that would satisfy me. Um, so I think it's just, again, about enjoying the ride. I don't know if I'll ever feel like I've made it. Yeah. It's, it's a feature and a bug. Uh, like with, like we have similar personalities where I'm like, if I'm off, cause I, I used to drink like daily, especially in Florida. And now that I don't drink, I'm like, God, oh, there's so many hours in the day now. And if I have nothing to do on Sunday, I'm like, should I be working on something? Which I know is not the healthiest thing in the world, but it makes me feel good. And it keeps me from doing more stupid shit than I already do. So, but I think you're right. Like whatever, whatever bar I reach, I feel like it's not going to be enough, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having that drive, but it is like, it, it could, it, it could at some point, it wouldn't like, it wouldn't hurt me to go back to the gym or you know, maybe uh, take some time for myself, but I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's weird. Like there's no magic number, I guess just being able to stay alive and live well enough to do what I want to do on a daily basis. That's, you know, it's kind of where I'm at. That, I mean, wealth is being able to do what you want, where you want, with who you want, right? And if I can do those sorts of things and, and this job has afforded me the opportunity to do that, then I feel pretty good. But to your point, Lee, if, if you set goalposts, the second you reach those goalposts, you're going to move them. That's just how it works. So trying not to arbitrarily tie it to a number is is difficult, but it's valuable if you can do that. Yeah. And and one last thing on corporate work, uh, from a former three-piece suit wearer, um, I don't care how bad this gets. I'm not sitting in a car in the heat and the cold, and I'm not wearing a goddamn tie. You know, like they always say, like, they ask people, like, who would, if you could go back in time and kill anybody, like, who would it be? And of course, the obvious answer is Hitler. But my answer is whoever invented the <laughs> necktie, whoever invented the necktie, I'm going straight back for that guy. So at least, at least we don't have to do that shit anymore. Preach. Even the worst days here are, are better than the best ones there. I have no doubt about that. Before, as we kind of come to a close, this is the most cliche question, but um, we haven't got a better one yet. Um, if you were to speak to your younger self, possibly pre-finance um, career, what would you say? It's a good question. I think my gut says start earlier, right? Start sooner, start doing this before. But I'm not sure that's true because there, I, I don't regret working in finance. I don't regret learning sales. I don't regret learning how to navigate the corporate world. I don't regret the experiences I had, the friends I made all those sorts of things. It would be awesome if I was in year seven of my copywriting career as opposed to year one, but the past that I had afforded me the opportunities to do what I'm doing now. And if I wasn't financially secure, I probably wouldn't have risked doing this sort of thing. So, you know, I, I guess to caveat that, the answer would probably still be start earlier, but start doing it on the side. You know, for Years and years and years, I knew that I was supposed to be writing and everybody would tell me, well, remember, you can just write on the side. And I would say, yeah, I know. And then I would find the excuse to not do it. Right. So it's not necessarily I wouldn't tell myself to start copywriting earlier, but I would tell myself to find creative outlets sooner so that I wasn't so rusty when I picked it back up. If you want to write, just write. 
just don't you stop making the excuses find reasons to write 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 that is what i wish i could do over again well said any any closing thoughts or no gentlemen this is this is fantastic i love you know seeing the journey that you guys are on it's obviously always nice to be able to talk to other people that are doing it because like we said it's a unique journey and not everybody understands it so that's the other thing i would say (laughs) on that line if you you know if you're on this path and don't have anybody that understands it that you can talk to find somebody who can because not feeling insane is is pretty valuable (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know no kidding well we'll have to uh we'll have to have another checkpoint here maybe after some times pass, see where we're all at again and uh, see if, see if we're still doing this, <laughs> you know, if, uh, and, uh, and maybe next time, if you're, if we're both in the same state, we should at least try to, we should try to find like a bar or something halfway between us. My mom also lives in Grand Haven, so we can meet up. Oh there. man. <laughs> well, I, I, could, I could promise you this. I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm going back to Mexico in a month. Uh, I'm getting out of here for the winters, but I will be in Grand Haven. I already have plans to for next summer. You're going to make it Reese. <laughs> tell me when you're there tell me when you're there i'll look at flights 100 percent like a two-day flight like a two-day flight uh, right. awesome. no, no, but adam this has been awesome we really appreciate your time you know and we Thank know you, you got a, a busy day and, and uh thanks for fitting us in like i said to be continued man let's uh let's meet up at some point in the future and check in with everybody and see how we're all doing sounds like a plan thanks guys i appreciate it awesome awesome, awesome. cheers adam